If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? It is summer, and what better to do with summertime than focus on getting in shape and getting your health in check. Best way to do that is with Angie Niska at Rise Nutrition, who sponsors all of these wonderful Jesus Never Ran podcasts. You can find her on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That is Rise with a Z. Hey friends, hope this podcast finds you well. I am your host, Matt Kinsera, and so many of us have walked away from something that has been so normal and so comfortable for us for so long, and the question is, where do we go from here? Well, today I talk with a young man who is really in exactly that same spot, so enjoy my conversation with Eugene Kim. I'm Eugene, and uh, I grew up in the New York City area. Uh, My parents were Korean immigrants uh, who came to the United States, and I grew up in the church. Uh, My father was the choir director. My mother was the Sunday school principal. That meant I spent a lot of time at church. Uh, It also meant that I got to see everything from the inside uh, very much. Uh, The churches I grew up in um, split multiple times, and I think Perhaps that was kind of the beginning of my own disillusionment with organized church. I'd say my background has ranged all around the evangelical spectrum. I spent most of my time in uh, very conservative Presbyterian churches, spent some time in Pentecostal Assemblies of God Church for a little while. Uh, I went to an evangelical Bible college. I went to an evangelical seminary, and I've been in church ministry for over 20 years. So I would say that I've been on the inside of the evangelical world for a very long time. And about a year ago, I left my role and uh, decided it was time to step outside of the institutional church uh, to explore something new. We've got a few things in common. I am a little bit of a church mutt like you are, where we kind of bounced around to a lot of different churches. I think I was, grew up Catholic. I've worked at, I worked at an Assemblies of God church for, I think, seven years. I was involved with a Lutheran church for a while, Pentecostal church for a while. So, I mean, I I can resonate with that part of your story for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe not the Korean church, but short of that. (laughs) I too, in the city that I am in, in the city that I did ministry in with the evangelical church, experienced tons and tons of church split. And after hearing you say that, it actually resonated with me to think, hey, that probably was a bigger piece than I've ever recognized of maybe what caused me to start questioning the institution a little bit as well. So walk us through that a little bit. Some of the 
maybe some of the questions you were asking, some of the disillusionment you were having, what were some of the main blocks that felt like they were getting pulled out from your foundation? Some of the things that I uh, experienced growing up, my, you know, it was the dissonance between what I'd been taught and what I'd been hearing in church and what I saw. And um, I think that was only the very beginning. I think all throughout my life, I've been a little bit of a church rebel. And uh, more recently, it's, it's sort of like, I'm kind of one of those Christians who don't like anything Christian. <laughs> um, if, uh, if a mainstream kind of Christian you know, world likes it, I probably wouldn't like it. So I've always kind of been geared that way. But it wasn't until I actually went into ministry and started doing the work of being in a church, running a church, pastoring people, that I started to really realize how many things just didn't make sense to me, uh, how many uh, different compromises that I experienced in the work of running a church and, and doing church in that particular way. And so looking back, it makes perfect sense now. Uh, why there were all these church splits and power struggles and why the relationship between, you know, people and the pastors never really made sense to me and all of the power and control and the shame and all of the time, money, and resource that went into building the organization. I think I sensed it early on, but it wasn't until I actually functioned in that role that I realized, holy smokes, like this is this is off. Share a little bit, because you mentioned a bit of the power struggle and maybe the yeah. disconnect between pastorship and the congregation. Yeah. What more specifically were you seeing there? You know, I always have been someone who never fully felt comfortable in the role of pastor. Uh, I think it came from my upbringing and uh, kind of carrying a lot of spiritual inadequacy throughout my life because I think, you know, growing up in the churches that I grew up in, that's sort of like, that's the bread and butter, make people feel insecure about who they are um, <laughs> so that they would work harder to try to feel accepted and feel a part of uh, what's going on. And so I carried that into ministry and I always kind of felt a little out of place, a little inadequate. So I think the discomfort started there is more internal. But as I stepped more into the role of pastor, I think I started to realize um, what a weird job it is. What a weird job it is for people to assume spiritual authority uh, or even sometimes superiority. What a weird job it is for people to give you so much power because you have a title. I was not any different of, of a person on the inside, but because I played a certain role, I wore a hat in people's lives. You know, it's a great privilege, but it also comes with a ton of weird conflicts of interest. If my job is to equip the saints for ministry, as Ephesians says, it's weird that my paycheck depends on people always relying on me and becoming dependent on me uh, as their spiritual guide, as their religious answer man. Now, we're also in tune with that concept, at least in the Western world. But I think mm -hmm. this idea that there's there's spiritual authorities, right? People with the, the education behind their name or the, the letters behind their name. And we're supposed to come and we learn from them because they're the experts, just like we do in a lot of other areas. But obviously, you know, in a spiritual sense, in a Christian sense, that has a, a lot of challenges, some of which you've already mentioned, others that we could go into as well. 
But the, the challenge that I think a lot of us are running into now is, okay, many of us are rejecting that kind of concept because we're seeing the toxicity mm-hmm. behind it. And we're seeing how, you know, absolute power is, is, can absolutely be corrupting, but then that leaves a question on the table. And the question is, well, what is the other option? Because in every area of our life, we're so used to learning from experts, from our medical field to our education field to church. So if this isn't the way to do it, what is the way to do it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, I'd say that it's a really complex problem because it's wrapped up into the very system that we assume you know, is church. I think it's even wrapped up in our very definition of what Christianity is. Our discipleship for a few hundred years now has been defined as know the right thing, do the right thing. Um, it's been very content and information based. And I realized I was an expert in interpreting the Bible, perhaps. I can preach, I can exposit the Bible, I can talk about theology, but that didn't necessarily make me a kinder, more gentle, more loving, more compassionate person. And of course, we could think of many examples of people who know a lot, uh, but don't necessarily look like Jesus. And so I think that was sort of a weird thing to live into. I saw the disconnect between what we were uh, doing as a system, uh, trying to, quote-unquote, disciple people into knowing and believing the right things, but not really seeing that result in a whole lot of transformation uh, or healing, for that matter. And the places where I was experiencing healing and transformation uh, had more to do with relationships and the practice of love, you know, being in face-to-face relationships. And I was realizing that uh, so much of what we did was not designed for that purpose. I was putting 20 plus hours a week writing a sermon and speaking to a crowd of people, but on any given Sunday, about a third of those people aren't even listening. Another third are probably thinking about something completely else, uh, or I'm not really speaking to their you know, lived experience at all. And the, the third remaining that are actually tracking with me, uh, if I asked them what I talked about three days later, they probably couldn't tell me. But I can sit in a room face-to-face with someone and listen, and I can connect with that person on a one-on-one conversation, and I can... Uh, walk with them with where they are spiritually. And I can really see a lot more fruit from that than doing things on a large scale or one size fits all way. Yeah. It's fascinating because, you know, it's it's almost like this routine that we've all been just lulled into that we're just supposed to do this Mm -hmm. thing where we sit in this chair and we listen to the expert talk to us. And most of us are daydreaming or looking off in the distance or thinking of what we're going to do with the rest of our Sunday. But yet we've been doing it for years and years and years and years and years, even though we can see that it's, it's lacking effectiveness. You know, we can Mm -hmm. look at statistics. We can just look at people who claim to be Christians versus people who don't claim to be Christians. And there's not a, always a, a ton of difference yet. When we look at the life of Jesus, he put very little priority on large groups of people. If there happened to be a large group of people, it wasn't necessarily his intention. They just happened to be there or they followed him. But then if we all ask ourselves the question, 
in our own lives, where did actual real true transformation happen? There's going to be a very, very small number of people that said it happened in a large group setting. Most of us would say, Mm -hmm. kind of like what you alluded to, most of us would say it was with that conversation with this friend of mine, or is was in that small group of people when we were together, suffering together or hurting with one another or whatever, you know, it's always, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost always, if we, if we identify those spaces of transformation in our lives, even from the points of where we first started to understand our faith and move forward in our faith, a lot of those are individual conversations or small spaces, not these big spaces. And that's not to say there's not space mm-hmm. for the large spaces. It's just to say, maybe it shouldn't be the primary thing we're focused on. Does that mm-hmm. seem fair? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think um, so much of what we do is a function of size. When I'm relating to a room full of 200 people, I'm a different person in front of that crowd. And if I'm a member of that crowd, I walk into that room, I, I immediately know how to function in that space, right? I'm not expected to raise my hand and ask a question or ask for elaboration or something like that. It's not a two-way street, but I can have a completely different, qualitatively different conversation when I'm sitting at my dinner table uh, with six other people and we can watch each other, we can react to each other, we can read each other's uh, reactions and we can go back and forth and uh, it's a completely different conversation. And so... I think we have definitely overplayed size uh, or overemphasized going big. To me, it all comes back to what we see as the primary purpose of church. And if the primary purpose of church is to know, think, and believe the right things, then absolutely you should sit in rows pointing at the pulpit and you should just listen to the expert talk and you should just keep your mouth shut. But if the purpose of church is to love God, love each other, and if relationship is the key, then you make that gathering small. You make it possible for there to be actual uh, flow of conversation and uh, for there to be real relationship there. So I think that's kind of a central idea of uh, where I think the future of the church is headed, the shift from content to connection from passive consumption to participation. And I think that's what what people really want. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you just said. And that's really hard for me, Eugene, because even outside of the church, I've made a lot of my livelihood out of public speaking in front of large groups. And, And I know you have too from being a pastor and things like that. So even accepting this reality has been a hard process for me, even though I know so desperately it's true. And, and so even for a guy like me who loves that, that role, I have totally come on board with what you just said in that belief that true transformation really doesn't happen in those large spaces as it can in a conversation, especially around the dinner table, which again is what we see Jesus teaching so many times, those dinner table type of conversations. And there's so many, you know, there's so many undertones to why we do this large group gathering. Number one, it makes me as the leader look awfully good if I have a lot of people in front of me listening to me. Number two, it pays the bill of this big building I have Mm -hmm. to to worry about. Even in church planting, like they really want you to get to that, whatever that number is that they say it should be so that you can be sustainable. And it's as if 
we can't be creative enough to think about other ways to be sustainable than to just get tons of people in chairs paying the bills and not really diving into important spiritual conversations. Jumping into the reason why I connected with you and what I think is super fascinating about you is what I love about you already, Eugene, is you have this, you're a pastor, and then you you decide that you are not in agreement with how that is going. So you just, you get out of that world, which is a very humble thing to do. And it's a very, very difficult thing to do because like you said, you're in ministry for 20 years of your life. That's no easy journey to go from there to whatever's next. But not only that, you didn't just go and get a job at the local hardware store. You you have a vision for something that's better. You believe something that's better in your heart. And now you're trying to unfold that. So we have an, another option, which is what New Wine Collective is. So share with us a little bit about what New Wine Collective is. Um, you know, I- the last church I served at, I was there for 17 years, uh, which is a really long time. Wow. So when you talk about it being difficult to leave your church, uh, this was our whole world, all our relationships. But about five to six years ago, I went through, I mean, I've gone through several periods of burnout in my ministry career, but around five or six years ago, I really hit a wall. And part of that wall is that I realized that I was doing all the right things that you would expect from a pastor. Um, But I felt like I had reached the end of how far my own spirituality could take me. And I was experiencing not just burnout. uh, Part of it, I'm sure, is from my own unhealth. But part of it is just the system Um, is relentless. It's grueling. Humans, I don't think, were ever meant uh, to bear this kind of uh, responsibility for the spiritual well-being of all these other people. So anyway, I kind of went through my own spiritual shift, uh, a period of deconstruction, and it, was, it wasn't the kind of deconstruction where I was leaving my faith. I feel like it was being refined. It, fe- it felt like I was sort of discarding and shedding a lot of the things that I had previously defined Christianity by. I defined myself as a Christian by believing X, Y, Z. Uh, but I realized I was still a jerk. Uh, I was still impatient. I was still unhealthy. I was still, uh, I still had so many things to work through. And so I went into this, uh, spiritual exploration mode. And, uh, of course I'd be, like many of us, I'd been, uh, trained in very Western, uh, seminaries, Western Christianity. I went to Western seminaries, uh, and of course it favored this scholastic tradition of, um, being defined by doctrine. Uh, and so it was during this time I started getting introduced to more of Eastern tradition. Uh, and so I started learning a little bit more about the contemplative tradition, Christian mysticism, you know, going back to Desert Fathers, third, third, fourth century. So anyway, as I'm going through this internal shift, uh, I started seeing things uh, externally different as, differently as well and started to see the ways that we were measuring success, um, seeing the way that we were building this brand and you know, multiplying and planting campuses and all these things. In the midst of all that, I was in this space of, you know, hey, what if we actually flatten the room and actually, you know, rearrange the chairs, and uh, I can be, you know, part of this circle gathering. And so I, I tried that for a while. I tried to do things differently, 
and it kind of worked, but kind of didn't because, you know, our bread and butter is the big gathering, the production. And, and I realized that, you know, I could have stayed, but it would have taken, you know, who knows, decades to really move significantly into any newer space. Uh, and so that's part of the reason why I felt compelled. That, and dis- there are a lot of factors involved, but I discerned it was time for me to, to leave and to venture out into kind of the wilderness, really. And when I left, I had no idea what I was going to do. All I knew was sort of an intuitive sense that what we're doing, there were some systemic problems with our whole model, problems that stemmed all the way down to our underlying theology. I realized that my vision for the church um, is going to be quite different from almost all of the spaces I've been in before. I think my vision for the church is just simple, small, local, agile communities that are centered around love and practice. How did that lead you into the the concept behind New Wine Collective? Because I guess in my mind, I just assumed Mm -hmm. that when you left your church, you had this idea in your mind already, but it was a bit of a Mm -hmm. process to get there. It was definitely a process. What I realized is that uh, the problems in our Christianity uh, were so systemic from top to bottom that it wasn't just a matter of uh, making a few like pragmatic fixes, uh, surface level solutions, um, because I had tried that uh, when I was in my church. Uh, I realized that we needed to actually start from the ground up. We needed to go back to some very fundamental questions about what is Christianity? What is the gospel? What is the church? What is the purpose of church? In order to entertain questions like that, often one needs to sort of be in a more open space where you have more freedom to ask those questions. So I knew that um, this was going to be a very big undertaking. You know, it, it sounds almost ridiculous when I say it out loud and how presumptuous to say we're going to just, let's just rethink everything from the ground up. Yes, let me uh, say let, it real specifically. You are desiring, your mission is to help heal the world yeah. through love and connection by making spiritual community accessible to all. That is no small mission. That is enormous and beautiful and wonderful. Yeah, I, the kind of like my own personal mission statement, I say, you know, I, I want to reimagine church and spirituality from the ground up. Uh, basically rewrite Christianity. I know how ridiculous that sounds, but I know I, I can't do it alone. I feel like there is a broader conversation already happening. I see that as a move of God. Uh, And I'm just kind of riding my surfboard on that wave. And I knew that I wanted to convene conversations about that. And so that's essentially what New Wine Collective is. This purpose is to uh, have this broad, collaborative, diverse uh, community that is having a conversation about the next iteration of Christianity. Uh, because I do believe we're living in this uh, monumental shift in, in the church, in the world, really. Uh, and I see it as a tremendous opportunity, but it's going to require uh, people to come together and to rethink and reimagine and cast a vision for what a new future could look like. So that's kind of big picture, New Wine Collective. Yep. How, in a practical sense, will that work? I see the work of New Wine Collective as happening in three layers. Uh, When I say reimagine church and spirituality from the ground up, I really mean 
from the ground up. That means examining, uh, and or I should say, re-examining our underlying theological um, assumptions. So it starts there. What is our spirituality? And I think the church has yet to truly see a fully fleshed out, uh, whole universal body of Christ spirituality. Uh, less us versus them, less dualistic, less defining ourselves by these sort of absolute beliefs, but uh, more practice-based, uh, more centered around love and justice, uh, much more accessible. But that alone is not going to do anything. Uh, there's lots of people having that conversation and a lot of good stuff out there. But until you actually change the very structures that are keeping us stuck, all of that good content, I should say, uh, is not going to result in a way to move forward. And so the second layer, uh, I guess if you think of it as a layer cake, the second layer of the cake is to think about structures and ecclesiology. How do we end up where we are right now with buildings, clergy, and 501c3 organizations? Uh, to me, those are all ecclesiological questions. They shape us and we shape that. And it's kind of like a chicken and the egg thing. You know, uh, where do we get this idea that church means uh, a building or an event or an organization? In my view, that's not what the church is at all. Uh, I mean, the church can be in those things, but that's not what the church actually is. And so it's rethinking the ecclesiology. Uh, what is the role of pastors? What is the role of, um, you know, content and preaching and all of that thing? And essentially, what is the real core of discipleship? The top layer of the cake is our strategy. And there's a lot to talk about in that, but the whole world is changing. In the, just the past 20 to 30 years, uh, I think we underappreciate how much change has come upon us uh, due to the advent of the internet. Uh, it has changed culture, society, commerce, everything. And of course, it's going to change spirituality and the way that we do church. If the problem, uh, or at least one of the problems of our current form of Christianity is that we've made uh, spiritual community into something very inaccessible, exclusive, and expensive, then part of our solution is to leverage technology um, to change the way that we do church. We're trying to create an online platform that empowers people to create their own spiritual community wherever they are. And that's a big undertaking, I get it, and there's a lot to it, and I'm sure it raises many more questions than it answers. Um, but that's currently what we're working on. In the same way that platforms such as like Uber and Airbnb, uh, they came along and, you know, before you needed a medallion to drive a taxi or you needed a building and staff and all these, you know, all the stuff to be a hotel. And then platforms like Uber and Airbnb came along and said, like, actually, no, you don't, you don't need a medallion. We're going to build this platform. Now, any, you have a car, anyone can be a taxi driver. Or Airbnb came along, oh, you have a home, anyone can be a hotel. Uh, and in a similar fashion, essentially, the, the online platform we're trying to build is trying to come along and say, hey, actually, uh, if the point of spiritual community is to practice love and compassion and empathy with one another, anyone can do church. And that's kind of a foundational principle. We believe anyone can do church anywhere. You don't need a building. You don't need paid clergy. You don't need a 501c3 organization. So we're not trying to create a church. We're trying to create a tool that allows church to happen anywhere.
Yes, I love it. So it's kind of it's kind of this hub that can be used to help people engage in small groups wherever they are. So it's not it's not people from all over the world are getting on a Zoom call and and having a meeting together. It's that we're using the New Wine Collective platform and what's offered there to help us in our own gatherings in our own communities, so we can have this real raw, authentic, beautiful space to do church. That's a that's a good way to put it. What the platform will do primarily is to provide uh, facilitation tools. You know, anyone who's been a part of a small group before knows that the biggest obstacle to a good group experience is usually the leader, um, either underfunctioning or overfunctioning. And you know, it, it takes a lot of experience, skill, and character and wisdom to facilitate a group. Um, and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it goes poorly. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to learn uh, the best learning out there about what makes groups successful, what makes them healthy, uh, understand group dynamics and group process, and then build those into a, an app that offers people tools for healthy group process, like timers and speaking cues. Uh, and the goal is to have people practice good self-regulation. It, it's practicing relationship in a different way. So it's creating a container for relationships. That's very different from going to church on Sunday and being a passive audience member for an hour and then driving back home. As a pastor, as a creator, as a, a bit of a visionary, and this is the question I ask everybody to end the podcast, but where do you see hope in Christianity? Or you could broaden that even and say, where do you see hope in our world as a whole? I think I see a lot of hope in just the change that's already happening. We're living in a time where people are ready for change. Um, and I think the pandemic has been, you know, obviously horrible in many ways, but a gift in others in that it's uh, challenged many of us to rethink uh, and to ask some deeper questions. So my hope is that that would continue. Uh, that the church universal would continue this conversation. And I think as the church connects more and becomes even more globalized and uh, more and more voices from the margins become heard, uh, that it sort of creates this uh, hive mind in a sense uh, that really allows the Holy Spirit to speak in a way that wasn't possible before. Uh, before, we're used to the Holy Spirit speaking through the select few in power. But I really see that globalization and technology have provided us with a new opportunity to really discern in a totally different way, in a way that no one person or church or denomination or institution can control and manipulate. It's just going to happen. Special thanks to Eugene Kim for being on this episode. If you want to learn more about what he has going on, go to newwinecollective.org. Of course, the direct link to that will be in the show notes of this episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, make sure you subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. Until next time.